Kim, my dear brethren and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Brother Matt, if you mind us, our last class we considered the presentation of the Lord at the first form, Mary's first form, at the temple. And we did know that that occurred in it, according to Edeshine, it was the custom of the day that when a firstborn son was presented, two blessings were pronounced upon that, upon that uh, occasion. One blessing was pronounced by the priest, rejoicing over the firstborn son that was presented. And a further blessing was pronounced concerning the law of redemption as revealed in Yahweh's law. We know that, of course, that the priest officiating in the temple at that time well, would have treated this as just one of many events of the day. Probably he pronounced those uh, words as a rather meaningless ritual. Completely ignorant of the character and the manner of child over which he was speaking those words. But it is interesting to note, brethren and sisters, that when that occasion took place, Yahweh provided two people. Yahweh, by his power of his spirit, moved Simeon to be in the temple at that particular time. And Simeon, when he saw that child, put him up in his arms and he blessed God. And the words that Simeon spoke concerned that child and the things that were accomplished through that child. And then Simeon, Having pronounced that blessing upon that firstborn son, he is joined by Anna, a prophetess. And Anna comes forth and she speaks, we are told, at the end of verse 38. She spoke of him to all them that look for redemption in Jerusalem. So although the priest failed to understand the significance of the words that he pronounced, Yahweh did provide to faithful servants who came uh, upon the scene at that time and speaking from the very depths of their hearts spoke concerning the blessings that would have come through that child and concerning the principles of redemption that Yahweh was establishing at that particular time. It's interesting as we look at Luke chapters 1 and 2 that we find that Yahweh used four aged people to herald in the coming of the Messiah. First of all, we have the words of Elizabeth when she greets Mary coming to her house, recognising that Mary was to be the mother of the Messiah. Then we have the words of Zachariah. Zachariah was a priest of the house of Aaron. And so, uh, he pronounces, he then uh, uh, pronounces his psalm, heralding in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there's Anna, or Simeon actually conceived Anna, but there's Anna, who was described as a prophet S. And then we have also Simeon, who was just a man of Jerusalem. <coughs> Simeon's name means one who hears. We look at Elizabeth. Her name means the oath of my God. And she quite obviously represents the covenant of Christ. Zachariah was the priest of the line of Aaron. And he stood in his right as the representative of the Lord. Anna 
the prophetess. She represents the prophet. And Simeon, the one who hears, represented those who heard the voice of Yahweh's word. And there we have the covenant of promise, which spoke and foretold the coming of the Messiah. We have Zechariah representing the law, which was a schoolmaster to bring the people on the cross. We have Anna representing the prophet, who proclaimed the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and revealed Yahweh's redemption that will be accomplished through him. And then we have Simeon, the one who hears, representing that little faithful community of Jews who heard the voice of the covenant of promise, who heard the voice of Yahweh's law, who had paid attention to the prophets of Yahweh, and they were there waiting for the consolation of Israel and heralded in the birth of the Messiah at, at that particular time. And so in these events we believe there is typical things being foreshadowed, showing how Yahweh from the very earliest of times through the covenant of promise, through the law and the prophets, had been proclaiming the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there when he came, there was a man, Simeon, one who did, who was ready and prepared and waiting for that event, and ready to welcome the birth of that child. <coughs> and so we come to take a closer look at Simeon. Simeon was impelled at that, that occasion by the power of the Holy Spirit to make his way to the temple, it having been revealed to him that he would not die until he had actually seen the cross. The name Simeon, as we have stated, means one who, who hears. The Hebrew name Simeon is from the Hebrew word Shema, which means to hear intelligently. And it carries the implication of, it, of attention or obedience. And so it implies one who hears and obeys. And Simeon was a man who both heard and obeyed the word of God. Simeon was a man who spoke glorious words when the, when the Lord Jesus Christ was presented at the temple. But he was a man who manifested a character that matched those words. He wasn't just all words. He was a man of character. Because we read of him there in verse 25, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so Simeon was a man who heard the word of Yahweh. Now the aspect of hearing Yahweh's word is very important. In the fifth chapter of the book of Romans, we read, for instance, at verse 19, fifth chapter of Romans, at verse 19, for as one man, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience, of one, shall many be made righteous. And there, of course, we have a comparison between Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told that Adam, by his act of disobedience, brought sin and death into the world and brought us all under a constitution 
But the Lord Jesus Christ, by his obedience, uh, will make many righteous and brings us under a constitution of righteousness. So when we look at those two words, disobedient and obedience, we find that the word disobedience means really to fear a myth, to fear wrongly. Whereas the word obedience there means to fear attentively. So you see, Adam sinned because he heard a myth. The Lord Jesus Christ was righteous because he heard attentively. And so we see the importance of right hearing and rightly rightly discerning the voice of the Spirit as spoken through the pages of God's Word. But Simeon was a man who did rightly hear. He was a man who gave attention to listen to the Spirit's voice. And he heard rightly. And therefore we read of him here that he was was just and devout. The word just well, it means it, it, in, in Luke chapter 1 and verse, uh, at verse 6, I think it is. In verse 6, it's speaking of Jews, of Zechariah and Elizabeth, that they were righteous. That they were in a right state. He had a right standing with God and in his dealings with man. He was a just man. He was just and right in all his dealings and in his standing before God. And we read that he was devout. And that word devout means that he was careful in religious duty. The word devout really, according to Bullinger, means taking well hold. That is, carefully, circumspectly, hence cautious, careful as to what is right in religion. Avoidance through godly fear of doing anything contrary to right and fulfilling all the duties of piety and humanity. That was the character of Simeon. He was a cautious, careful man, conscientious in all his religious obligations, both to God and to man. We find this same word devout. Actually, the word is only used by Luke. It's used by Luke here, it's used by Luke in in Acts chapter 10, where it describes Cornelius. When we read in um, in, 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 um, Acts chapter 10 and verse 2, speaking of Cornelius, he was a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, and gave much arms to the people, and prayed to God always. Cornelius likewise was a man who was careful and conscientious in his responsibility towards God and man. This was the character of this man Simeon. He was just and he was devout. And added to that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting. The word waiting there is translated in verse 38, looking for to them that look for redemption in Jerusalem. So just as Simeon was waiting or looking for the consolation of Israel, so Adam spoke to a little group of people in Jerusalem who were waiting or looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. 
In Luke chapter 12 and verse 36, the word is used. And ye yourselves be like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. So when he cometh and knocketh, they may be open, they may open unto him immediately. So it's the expectation of the Lord Jesus Christ that we should manifest this quality of waiting. You see, that waiting uh, implies a continual readiness. We've got to wait for the Lord so that when he comes and knocketh, we might open unto him immediately, being constantly ready to receive him. That's the implications of this word. The word is actually translated, you see, in certain places. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 2, we read, The Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners. The word receiveth sinners. So you see, not only implies a waiting for or a looking for, but also a receiving. In the Philippians chapter 2 and verse 29, we find it rendered in this way also. Receiving. Um, we, we read in verse 28, I send him therefore the more carefully that when he, he see him again, he may rejoice, and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. So you see, as we look at this word, we see that it implies a characteristic not only of just sitting back waiting, but of an anxious waiting, a looking for, a readiness to receive and welcome that day when it comes. In the book of Jude, at verse 21, the Apostle Jude says, Keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and of eternal life. There is rendered looking for again. It's not just a matter of waiting in a, a, a passive sort of a sense, doing nothing about it. Here you see to be looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ and of eternal life means that we keep ourselves in the love of God. It means that we're constantly preparing ourselves so that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, we might be found ready and waiting, that we might be found in a, a, a right relationship to him, that we might receive mercy and thus gain everlasting life. And that's the characteristic of this man sinning. He wasn't just sitting back in Jerusalem doing nothing, saying, oh, well, one day the consolation of Israel will come. He was waiting for it, but he was also looking for it. He was preparing himself to be ready for it. He was ready to receive it when it came. That's the characteristic of this man, Simeon. You know, this quality of waiting in this way is a characteristic that is very important to develop. You know, in many places in the scriptures we speak of the blessings of those who wait patiently for Yahweh. Isaiah chapter 25 is one example. 
Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 9. And shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God, we have waited for him. And he will save us. This is Yahweh, we have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And here again from this verse we see this quality of waiting for Yahweh. It's not a matter of just doing nothing. So well, there's nothing we can do, we just sort of sit back and wait for Yahweh to do everything. It's a matter of being moved with enthusiasm and expectation. A matter of being moved for hope. Uh, and, and for preparation, waiting for the day when, you, when the Lord Jesus Christ always will come and that we might receive the blessing, the promised blessing from his hand. And repeatedly through the scriptures we have reference made to the blessing that will be bestowed upon those who wait for Yahweh. It's over a couple of pages in Isaiah chapter 30 and at verse 18 we read and therefore will Yahweh wait, that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For Yahweh is an Elohim of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. It shows the, uh, the anxious expectation that his people have waiting for him to fulfil his purpose and to bestow his blessing, promised blessing upon man. We follow that this characteristic of waiting is a characteristic of all true saints. In the 15th chapter of Mark, at verse 43, we read of Joseph of Arimathea, that he likewise had this quality, this characteristic. <coughs> In verse 43 of Mark 15, Joseph of Arimathea, an honourable counsellor, which also waited for the kingdom of God. And he came and went in boldly under Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. So he was a man who was moved at that time by courage, as he identified himself with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he was waiting for the kingdom of God. And so we find that Simeon manifested this quality of waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does it mean when it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel? The word consolation there really means comfort. He was waiting for the comfort of a consolation of Israel. Now comfort is something which comes from God. Romans chapter 15 and verse 5 tells us that comfort comes from God. We read there now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ, that you may be, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see there that God is referred to as the God of consolation, or the God of comfort. 
we find when we go back to the pages of the prophet, particularly to the prophet Isaiah, that God has promised that he would comfort Israel. And he was the fulfilment of those promises that will be accomplished through the Messiah that Simeon was waiting for. Firstly, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to find that Simeon's mind was very deeply steeped in the prophecy of Isaiah. We find that the whole of Simeon's message that he offered at the time when his child was presented really had his roots in the prophecy of Isaiah. But here in Isaiah chapter 30, verses 18 and 19, we read, And therefore will Yahweh wait, that he may be gracious unto you. We've already read this first one. That, uh, that, that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For Yahweh is a God of judgment, Blessed are all they that wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner any more, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers. And thy ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand, and when ye turn to the left. And there in those verses, particularly in verse 19, the prophet Isaiah foretold that the day will come when Yahweh will comfort Jerusalem, when people will weep no more, when he will be very gracious unto them, uh, uh, the voice of their cry. When they will cry, he shall hear and he will answer it. That's the comfort of Jerusalem that Simeon was waiting for. He's going to go over a few pages to Isaiah chapter 14. And the cry goes forth. Comfort ye, in verse 1. Comfort ye, my people, says your God. Speak comfortably unto the heart of Jerusalem. Cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received of Yahweh's hand double for her sins. And then the cry goes forth for Jerusalem, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, says your God. And it speaks of the time that her warfare is accomplished, her iniquity is pardoned. And Jerusalem will be comforted through the ministry of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 49, verses 7 to 10, again we see that the prophet foretold the comforting of Israel. Isaiah 49, verses 7 to 10. Thus says Yahweh, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One, to him who man despises, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship because of Yahweh that is faithful, and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose them. Thus says Yahweh, in an acceptable time I have heard thee, 
and in the day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee and give thee a covenant of the people to establish the earth, the cause to inherit the desolate heritage, heritage, that thou mayest say to the prisoners, go forth, for them that are in darkness, show yourself. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in the high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst. Neither shall the heat nor the sun smite them. For he that has mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water to his guidance. And I will make all my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted. And again we see the glorious future for Saul, for the people of Israel. That was the comfort of the consolation of Israel that, 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 that Simeon was waiting for. Now, as we look at Simeon, we're not told very much about him. But you know what we are told about him? Outside the character of a true Israelite. He was a man who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The hope of Israel was the very thing for which he lived. He was looking for the time when Israel would be comforted, when Israel's sins would be blotted out, and Israel would be elevated and restored in the earth in, uh, to, to the glory that had been promised. But, but Simeon wasn't just moved by that hope. He was a man whose hope was backed by his works and his character. He was a man who was conscientious in all his religious responsibilities, both to God and to man. He was a man by the very character and way of life that he lived could be described as a just man. One who was in the right state with God. And there you see the characteristic of a true Israelite. And Simeon manifested that character because he attentively listened to the word of the prophet and the word of the law and the things of the covenant that promised. And because he listened to those things and received them in his heart, because he was moved by a love of those things, then we see this beautiful character revealed in this man Simeon. And he was a vessel that Yahweh chose. <coughs> Yahweh chose him to herald in the coming of the Messiah. Now we read in verse 26, we read that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And in verse 26 it says that it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. Simeon was a man who heard. And because he was a man who heard and listened, then Yahweh made revelations unto him. Is it those to whom, uh, um, those who are, are faithful in that which is least, uh, much is given? Those who have and use what Yahweh gives them, to them more is given. He was a man who listened attentively to Yahweh's words. And so Yahweh gave him a very special revelation. A revelation that was hidden from many in Israel. In fact, hidden from most in Israel. But Simeon was a very blessed and privileged person. And the revelation was given to him because he had given the attention and the care to listen to the voice of Yahweh. And Yahweh made this 
astounding revelation to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord Christ or Yahweh's anointing. A statement really, Yahweh's anointing. When we go back to the pages of the Word of God, we see that anointing was a thing that was divinely instituted to mark out certain people. From the first of Kings, chapter 19, verse 16, we read of a person being anointed, marking them out as a prophet of Yahweh. So anointing was used to, to uh, uh, mark out a person to be a prophet of Yahweh. Back in the book of Exodus, we read of Aaron and his sons being anointed as priests. So again, anointing was used to mark out a person as a priest. We go over the book of 1st of Samuel and we, we read of how Samuel was sent to anoint David as king over Israel and previously he had anointed Saul as king over Israel. So the anointing was used on prophets, priests and kings. And this little child that Simeon was to take into his arms was to be all through that day. And his first advent when he was manifested in Israel was Yahweh's prophets, bringing Yahweh's message to those people. After his crucifixion and resurrection, he ascended to the right hand of the Father of the great high priest. And he is there at his time ministering to the high priest on our behalf. When he returns to this earth, he will sit upon the throne of his father David in Jerusalem, reigning as a king. And so in that statement, Yahweh's anointed, there is really the whole of the work and mission of the Lord Jesus Christ our time. He was to come as a prophet of Yahweh, to preach Yahweh's word, to bring Yahweh's word to the people. He was to be elevated as a priest over the order of Melchizedek. And in the future time, he will, be, he will sit upon the throne in Jerusalem and reign as Yahweh's anointed king. And he was told to him that you're not going to die before you see the birth of that one who's going to be Yahweh's prophet, priest and king. And what a glorious revelation it was to this man Simeon as he listened attentively to the voice of Yahweh speaking under him. And that was the message in his heart. We're told he came by the Spirit into the temple. On this particular day he was impelled by the power of the Spirit of God to go to the temple at that time. We can imagine him making his way to the temple, bustling through the crowds as he got to the temple. Knowing, being impelled by the Spirit, knowing that there in that temple at that time was a young child who was to be Yahweh's anointed prophet priest and king. And so Simeon was there in the temple when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus there for to do to him after the custom of the law. And when he sees him, they being revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit, there's no other way he wouldn't have known. For outward purposes, he wouldn't have looked any different than any other child. His parents would have looked no different to the parents of, of, of all the other children that were there. But revealed to him by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, it was revealed to him which one was 
of hearing any prophecies, the true servant of Yahweh is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the true servant who will bring all these prophecies to pass. You know, we go down in verse to verse 6. I, Yahweh, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and will give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and then sit in darkness out of the prison house. You see, back in Luke chapter 2, in verse 32, Simeon, speaking of that bow that he held in his arms, he said, it will be a light to light in the Gentiles. And the glory of God's people in Christ seems predicted concerning the true servant of Yahweh. We go over to chapter 46 and verse 13. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse um, 13. We read uh, verse 12, Hearken unto thee, thou hearted, for thou part from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not perish. And I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. Simeon says in Luke chapter 2, He says, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. You know, these words are uh, uh, quoted from these prophecies of Isaiah. Isaiah 49 and verse 6. Uh, again, speaking of this true servant of Yahweh. And he says, It is a light thing that thou shalt be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to restore the preserve of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. And Simeon spoke of the salvation that, that God had prepared uh, before the face of all people and a light, the light of the Gentiles. We go over to chapter 52 and verse 10 of Isaiah. Reading from verse 9, Break forth into joy, sing together ye waste places of Jerusalem. For Yahweh has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. Yahweh has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. We go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 29 and 30. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. There's not a shadow of an outfit in the sisters of Adam and held that six-week-old babe in his arms, and he looked upon him. He saw the servant of Yahweh predicted in the prophecy of Isaiah. You see, as that man waited in Jerusalem, he waited for the consolation of Israel. Doesn't it mean he was just sitting back 
filling in his time with idle things, saying, oh, well, one day Yahweh's going to comfort Jerusalem. It's obvious he wasn't, brethren and sisters. It's obvious that that man's mind was searching the scriptures, searching out the things of the prophecy, particularly of Isaiah, concerning the coming of the Messiah. And he saw him as the true servant of Yahweh, through whom these things would be accomplished. And he speaks of him there in these ways. He speaks of the way that his eyes had seen thy salvation. As he looked upon that face and he held in his arms. He saw in verse 31 that that salvation wasn't just for Jews. That salvation was prepared before the face of all people. And that that child was to be a light. To lighten the Gentiles. And to be the glory of thy people Israel. In the, uh, the, the, the aspect of, of the Lord being a light to light in the Gentiles, we know in the Gospel of John that the Lord Jesus Christ proclaimed that he was the light of the world. It is he that's going to illuminate the whole world through the character that he manifested and the work that he accomplished. Going back again to Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 25, the easy word before we leave Luke, a light to lighten the Gentiles. The word lighten there is to apocalypse, to unveil the Gentiles. It's to tear away the veil that is over their eyes. And in Isaiah chapter 25, we, we read of, of, of how that will be accomplished. Isaiah 25 and at verse um, 7, we read of him with this. Draw in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory and the, uh, and the Lord Yahweh will wipe away sin from off of all faces that the rebuke of his people shall be taken away from off, off of all the earth for Yahweh has spoken. And so the prophet speaks here. Speaking of the time of the resurrection, he speaks of the way that the, the veil that is cast over all people will be torn off and, the, and the, the face of the covering will be destroyed. And all people then will see and will walk in the light. But that will be accomplished through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ when he is manifested in the earth in the future time. And of course Isaiah chapter 60 likewise speaks of the way in which lights will shine forth at that time from the city of Jerusalem. Now Isaiah 60, the prophet says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of Yahweh is risen upon thee. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But Yahweh shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and king to the brightness of thy rising. These are the days that Simeon was waiting for and looking for and preparing for. And the days that he rejoiced over as he saw this, as he held his babe in his arms and saw that here was the Lord's anointing, who would be a light to unveil the Gentiles and a manifest 
Yahweh's glory in the midst of the, of, of the people of Israel. And so we read in verse 33, that Simeon made these wonderful prophetic statements concerning this child, seeing him as the servant promised in the prophecy of Isaiah. We read that Joseph and his mother marvelled at those things which were spoken of. Notice how it says Joseph and his mother. Showing of course that Joseph wasn't his real father. Joseph and his mother marvelled at those things. Why did they marvel? Mary knew that he was the son of God. Mary knew that child that she took up to the temple was Yahweh's anointed. She'd been told by the angel Gabriel that he would sit upon the throne of his father David in a future time. Why then should she marvel that Simeon could speak in this way? I don't believe really it was so much about what she said about, what Simeon said about him, but the fact that there, unexpectedly to both of them, there, and someone should come forth out of the crowd in that temple and utter these things concerning that child that they bore, thinking that those things were secrets within their own hearts. And they marvelled at those things which were happening. But here this man, being moved and impelled by the Holy Spirit, should speak in this way. And so you see, as that humble babe was presented, in appearance no different to any other child, we see that the Holy Spirit moved this man to proclaim the true nature of his mission and his character at that particular time. From the narrative here, it was seen that at this stage, Simeon handed the babe back to Mary. Joseph and Mary marvelling at the things that had been spoken. Now Simeon had burst forth and beautifully expounded the prophecy of Isaiah in relation to that child. Now Simeon, it would see, hands the child back to Mary. And Mary and Simeon now, looking upon Mary, he says he blessed them. He blessed them and he looking upon Mary, he said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again many of Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And so Simeon now, looking Mary in the face, has words to speak, particularly for Mary. Now I'm aware of Simeon's mind is now. I don't think we need to wonder, brethren sisters. I don't think there's any need to wonder what was doing in Simeon's mind as he spoke these words. As he pointed out to Mary that this child was to be a sign which was spoken against. You know, back in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, where we have the Emmanuel prophecies in Isaiah, we read in there in Isaiah chapter 7 that Yahweh is going to give the house of David a sign. Isaiah 7, and reading firstly from verse 13, 
And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall eat and so and so forth. And so Emmanuel was promised as a sign. A virgin was going to conceive and bear a son. That was going to be a sign for the house of David. It was a sign, says Simeon, that was going to be spoken again. Now, Simeon had a very deep understanding, I believe, of the prophecy of Isaiah. We go back to the Emmanuel prophecies in Isaiah, chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. We read, Speaking of Emmanuel, and he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offence to boast the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. You see, there was Emmanuel. He was going to be a sign, but he was going to be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. Simeon said, look, he's going to be a sign that will be spoken against. He was going to be spoken against. And he was going to be set for the fall of many in Israel. Where was Simeon's mind? Where was he drawing his words from? Back in the Emmanuel prophecies of Isaiah. Not only did Simeon recognise that 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 child was to be the true servant of Yahweh, but he was to be the promised Emmanuel. There was to be a sign for the house of Israel, but a sign who, like Ahaz of old, who rejected the the offer of a sign, he rejected it, so he saw that Israel in his day would reject the sign of Emmanuel. It would be a sign spoken against. It would be a rock of offence a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence upon which many would fall. You notice, just going back to Luke there, notice the words of um, Octavian. He says, uh, This child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which all shall be spoken Okay. Emmanuel was to be rejected. He was to be a stone of stumbling upon which many in Israel would fall. And be fall, fall, they would fall and be snared and broken and taken, said the prophecy of Isaiah. You know, Peter, in his first epistle, quotes that statement from Isaiah. First of Peter, Chapter 2, <coughs> verses 5 to 8. He says, You also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, left and precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. 
but on a language for disobedience, the start which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of a corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of a fence, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, where also, whereas also they were appointed. Notice the way that Peter, Peter here blends together two quotations from Isaiah. In verse 8, he takes the quotation from Isaiah. So the Lord Jesus Christ was to be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence to them that stumble at the word. But he also, in verse 6, quotes from the 28th chapter of Isaiah in verse 16, where he says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, he left in precious. He that believes on him shall not be confounded. And Peter shows us there in verse 5 that that stone that he's laid up in Zion is the foundation stone of a spiritual temple that Yahweh is building. Now when we look at these two quotations from Isaiah and we look at the words of Simeon when he says that he would be set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel. You know, Simeon, like Peter, is combining those two quotations. He's going to be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence upon which many are going to fall and be snared and broken. But at the same time, as Isaiah 28 and verse 16 says, Therefore, thus says Lord Yahweh, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The deed of the Levites shall not make haste. And so that stone upon which many would stumble is the very stone upon which many will be raised up and built up as living stones as a spiritual temple. And Simeon perceived that. Simeon understood what Isaiah was speaking about when he said that, that the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, that child that he was uh, handed back into Mary's arms, was to be set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. You know, that prophecy had a fulfilment in those days. We know that the nation of Israel stumbled and fell. They rejected the sign of Emmanuel. They spoke against that sign. They hated the Lord Jesus Christ and they killed him. But you know, there were many in Israel that came to the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, smitten in their hearts and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? The Apostle Peter said, repent and be baptized. Have a change of mind and a change of heart. And there were many in Israel that did have that change of mind and change of heart. And there were many, we read of 3,000 and 5,000 and so forth, being baptised at one time. And so there was a partial fulfilment of that. There were many who stumbled and fell upon that stone. But then they rose again and were built upon that stone as a, as a, a, a living temple. But of course, nationally, we see that that is yet to be accomplished. The nation of Israel, both the houses of Israel, says Isaiah, would stumble and fall upon that stone. But in the future time, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, uh, 
when he establishes the kingdom of God, he will restore the twelve tribes of Israel. They will be restored to divine favour. They will rise again and they will walk in unity of life in the age to come. Of course, the prophecies of Isaiah chapter 11, uh, of Isaiah 59, verses 20 and 21, speak of that transformation that will take place in the nation of Israel in the future times. And so, Simeon had a very deep understanding, I believe, of the prophecy of Isaiah. As he saw not only that Christ was the servant of Yahweh, but he was Emmanuel, the promised sign, who would be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence, but also a tried and precious cornerstone laid in Zion. Not only was the sign that he spoken against, but I believe that Simeon was prophesying the crucifixion, really, or the whole of the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ was going to be a source of sorrow to Mary at that time. Yea, he says, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. But Simeon foresaw the sacrifice and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he perceived that his nation would reject that man, would reject their Messiah and crucify him. And he prophesied there the sorrow that was to come upon Mary as she should see her beloved son suffer and die in that way. And that, those little words we'll know who they're adding in brackets. They're just a little word of explanation. A little fuller explanation of that statement. A sign that shall be spoken against. But you see, those things, Simeon says in verse 35, would be done, that the thoughts of many hearts might be revealed. You know, the very nature of the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ caused very deep divisions in that nation. Ever since it's caused deep divisions between people. It's divided up families and so on and so forth. The very nature of the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ is such that people were compelled to take a stand either for Christ or against him. Now, and as the time of the crucifixion during near in Israel, we see there that through that act of the crucifixion, all that outward show of righteousness, the outward self-righteousness of that nation was ripped open and the evil motives of the heart were revealed. You know, the crucifixion of Christ is something that brings about the revealing of the innermost thought. The word thought there is a word which means the reasoning. The reasoning of many hearts shall be revealed. And indeed it was the case when the Lord Jesus Christ walked the land of Judah in the past. You know, something that still applies today. The very principle of the sacrifice of Christ is something today that reveals the thought of many hearts. You know, we come across, we come into many circumstances where it's easy to deny the sacrifice of Christ for our own personal comfort and well-being at times. It's easy to deny 
the crucifixion of Christ on our own ends or at stake, our own standing and our own position. So in the days of the Apostle Paul, this was the case within the Ecclesiastes, and so it has been ever since. In the third chapter of the Epistle to the Philippians, he reads, he writes in verses 18 and 19, concerning certain <coughs> members of the Ecclesia. He says in verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. In verse 10, He's spoken of his desire to be made conformable under the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He now exhorts us to be followers together of him and mark them which walk so as he has us for an example. For he says, many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, for they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Here were people walking in the Ecclesians, rejoicing in the redemption that they thought they had in Christ Jesus, thinking they were being saved by the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, by their very way of life, by the very inward reasonings of their hearts. They were manifesting themselves as the enemies of the principle of crucifixion of flesh, now when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and his ecclesia is gathered before him and we're to be judged according to how we have identified ourselves with his sacrificial life and death according to whether his death can be seen in us whether Christ crucified can be seen in us that will be the essential question and when we stand on the wrong side here Indeed, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. The reasonings, the reasonings of our hearts in relation, our own position, our own comfort in life, in relation to the sacrifice and crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, will be opened up and revealed. And in these verses, where Simeon so beautifully spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that Simeon understood under the power of inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He was able to speak of the whole of the life, the work and the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can see how Simeon, as he waited for the consolation of Israel, had rejoiced in the prophecies of Isaiah. He spent many long hours considering and carefully listening to the Spirit's voice speak to him out of that prophecy so that he was ready to receive the Lord Jesus Christ when he came. And the reward of that effort, Yahweh blessed him in telling him that he would not die until he had actually seen with his eyes the Lord Jesus Christ. And Simeon rejoiced over those things, and having seen the Lord Jesus Christ, and having anticipated his work and sacrifice, Simeon then was content to go peacefully into the article of death, confident that that little babe that he held in his arms would one day call him out of the ground and call him to share in the glories of the kingdom age. 
and, and these are the things that, that, that Simeon waited for and rejoiced over. Now we find that Simeon no sooner finished speaking. But in verse 36 we read that there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and was living in husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And here was this aged Anna, a prophetess, a woman of a very great age, whilst it, whilst perhaps the words here can be read in two ways, it could be taken that Anna was 84 years old, or it can be taken that she was about 106 or 108 years old at least. I tend to to, to, to lean to, to, to that interpretation. So she was well over a hundred years of age. She was of a very great age, the scripture says. And then it goes on to say how she had lived with her husband for seven years from her virginity and that she had been a widow for 84 years. I believe that that really is what we are intending to understand from these verses. And so she was of a, a very outstanding character in Jerusalem. She had been one of the oldest living people, surely, in Jerusalem at that time. And doubtless Yahweh had preserved her. But this particular time, when she too could look upon that little child and speak to all those who waited for the redemption in Jerusalem of him. It's interesting, we're not really told what her message was. It's just told that she spoke of him to all them that waited for, Jer- for redemption in Jerusalem. But I believe from the very meaning of her name, meaning of her name and the name of her father and tribe, we're told what her message was. Because the name Anna means grace, the abbreviation of the word Hannah. And we read it in the Old Testament, it means grace. Phanuel is a Greek version of the, of the word Peniel, which means the faces of God. Asher was a, one of the tribes of, of Israel, which means blessed or happy. So when we put these together, we get a little sentence which states, grace or favour from the face of God brings happiness to man. Asher was the eighth son of Jacob. Number eight, as we were reminded this evening, speaks of a new beginning. It takes our mind forward to the eighth day when the purpose of God will be consummated. And so you see, grace from God's face will bring happiness to man through a new beginning. That applies now, and it will apply in the future on the eighth day. You know, when we look at Anna as a prophetess, there's seven women in the scriptures referred to as prophetesses. There's the word prophetess is applied to them. Two of those are false prophetesses, one being Jezebel and another being a prophetess in the days of Nehemiah. That leaves five. They are Miriam, Deborah, Holder, the wife of Isaiah, and Anna, the fifth. Her name means grace. She's number five, which speaks of grace. 
which go on to say that Anna was the fifth individual that heralded the coming of the Messiah. Elizabeth was the first, Mary was the second, Zechariah was the third, Simeon was the fourth, and Anna was the fifth. So everything about Anna speaks of grace. You know, Anna was an outstanding example. An outstanding example. You see, she, she was um, she was a very great age, and we read in verse 37, but she departed not from the temple, but she served God with fasting and prayers night and day. That word serve refers to religious service. It has been translated worship. It refers to religious service. I don't believe that that verse is telling us that she took up permanent residence in the temple and never went outside it. I believe it's telling us that whenever there was a religious service on in that temple, Anna was there. She was never missing. That was her life to support the work of that temple. And she served and worshipped God with fasting and prayers night and day. She, she never ceased in her consistent service to God. You know, she's a tremendous example of Anna. When she was very young, tragedy struck her life. She must have been married at a very young age. She had never had a husband for seven years. And tragedy struck. Many would have become engulfed in their own sorrow. Many would have been hardened and embittered by the experiences of her life. But not Anna. Anna's, Anna's name is Christ. And she rejoiced in the grace of Yahweh. And Anna was a woman who filled the empty space in her life with loving, dedicated service to the truth. She's an example for all who are not in a similar circumstance. There was no bitterness in Anna. She didn't bemoan her sorrows. She filled that many space in her life by totally giving herself to the service of her God and, uh, and, and rejoicing in the promises that, that, that God had given. And so coming in at the very time that the Lord Jesus Christ was set to be presented, this very outstanding woman, again having it revealed to her by the Holy Spirit no doubt, that this child was the promised Messiah. She spoke, she gave thanks to the Lord, and she spoke of him to all them that look for redemption in Jerusalem. You know, the people of Israel thought they were the redemption people. But Adam knew that. Adam knew that that nation still needed redemption. And that they would get that redemption through that child of the Lord. And she speaks to all who will listen. To all who will listen to her of the redemption that is going to be accomplished through that little babe that they just presented in the temple. Again we find that here was a vessel that Yahweh used to herald in the coming of his son. A vessel that was not that word. Her words were backed by a life of its own. She was one who believed what she believed. She was one who dedicated herself to her God. And as we look at these four old people, 
But now I use the heroine of Cunningham's son. We have in the foreshadow of the sight of people and the young way of men to be united to, to, uh, to, to be united to his son when he returns to establish God's kingdom upon him.